Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. I'm Andrew, an autistic certified financial planner. I co-run Adulting on the Spectrum with Eileen Lamb. Hey, Eileen. Hey, everyone. In this podcast, we want to highlight the real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but people like us talking about their day-to-day life. Basically, we want to give a voice to a variety of autistic people. Today, our guest is Leah McCabe. Leah is the founder of Autism Wish, a charity initiative providing autistic children with sensory therapeutic items and parent resources. She is also the host of Embracing Autism podcast, ranked in the top five podcasts worldwide and certified in special need parent training and mentorship. She is an outspoken autistic advocate and seeks to create a more compassionate and inclusive community. Hello. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So I don't know if you've watched our episodes, but we always start by asking our guests how they like to identify. And by that, I mean uh, identity language as an autistic person or person with autism and also your pronouns. Um, So across the board, whatever. Um, So whatever suits your fancy. I, I prefer your majesty, if that's okay. But if not, I'll take it. Um, no, she, her, and autistic is fine. But, you know, if you say with autism or whatever, it really doesn't rock my boat. Speaking of the whatever, I helped uh, some colleagues of mine w- with a book, and they asked me how I would like to be credited. And I said I prefer to go by my stage name, Candy Delicious. Um, <laughs> I, they know me well enough where I'm pretty sure they're assuming the sarcasm. But if there is an autism book that comes out and one of the credits is to Candy Delicious, that that would be me. But given it's very professional, I, I, I don't think they're going to, you know, abide. But speaking <laughs> to the whatever you want to call me, somehow that felt on topic. I think I will start using that one. <laughs> yeah. Or you could come up with your own. So that one's mine. Anyway. Not mean to call you. <laughs> oh, oh, uh I'm going to second, I'm going to start rethinking this now. Okay. Um, So can you tell us about when you were diagnosed with autism, uh, what that experience was like? Yeah, sure. So honestly, I've lost track of time, but several months ago, um, the process was really a long, extensive process. So um, it was probably overall about a six week long process. And we had three sessions, each of which were about three hours long. Um, So it was spaced out um, like every two weeks. So there were about 10 or so assessments that were done, 10 to 12, um, including like an IQ assessment, um, executive functionings, all sorts of things kind of related in the family of autism as well. So there was a lot of um, paperwork and self self-assessments and then knowing your history and your childhood and all that stuff. So it was a really, really thorough process. I was kind of surprised. Um, I actually had to get help from my husband because I found that I didn't really know myself well. Like I didn't know myself as well as I thought I knew myself. So some of these questions were hard for me because I was trying to read them a little too hyper literally. And it was, it was really difficult to even understand what the question was asking So I ended up leaning on him to kind of understand some of the questions. And then um, I ended up being able to answer it after getting some feedback on who I actually am around people versus who I think I am around people, which are never really the same thing. 
Do you have any good examples? Yeah, sure. So one of those examples would be like in social situations where I'm gathering with a group of friends. Um, A lot of times I will be the person who is um, kind of like the caretaker, like here, do you need a drink? Do you need a snack? Whatever it is. And so I always thought that that meant I was really sociable, like, oh, I'm a social butterfly. I got this going. I'm organizing the games. Like we're all hanging out. They're having fun. But what I didn't realize was that I wasn't actually partaking in the socialization itself. So it was like, I was always the observer pretty much. And like the organizer, but I wasn't really partaking in that socialization, but I didn't really realize that until I was answering these questions on this assessment and realized that some of these things were not really considered typical, um, which I didn't really know because I didn't hang around enough people to know. <laughs> Did you or do you do you have any other uh, diagnosis other than autism? And uh, why do you think that uh, or do you think that autism is the correct diagnosis? Yeah, so actually... What happened was a long, like long time ago in my childhood, like elementary age, I always needed help in school and academics. I've had a tutor since at least kindergarten that I can remember. Um, and so throughout that entire time, I always struggled and I never really knew why. Um, I remember like during recess and stuff, I would be at the picnic table and I would be drawing and writing stories because I was, I was actually hyperlexic and I didn't know it. Um, and so as I got older, basically after high school, high school kind of became so difficult for me that I started having a lot of problems because I knew that I was smart, but I couldn't access the information, right? I, I just felt like something was wrong. I couldn't keep up with my peers. So at that point before college, I got assessed and I was diagnosed with ADHD and executive dysfunction um, and like a visual disorder and a couple other things, all in that learning disability family. But I was not diagnosed with autism at the time. Um, so it wasn't until recently that I looked into that because I felt like ADHD does explain certain parts of me and executive dysfunction definitely does. Uh, I struggle with that a lot, uh, but it didn't really explain the social aspect and the social part of it that I had struggle struggles with. And also a lot of the sensory stuff that I've always struggled with. So that's what made me want to kind of pursue that, particularly after both of my kids were diagnosed. Um, my husband doesn't have any family history really of autism. So I felt like that had to be on my side because I have a nephew who's also autistic. So I, I looked into it and that's when I discovered I was autistic and it all made sense, basically. So you have been involved with autism advocacy. Your, your kids have been diagnosed with autism. You have other family members uh, with autism as well. Um, since before your diagnosis, you started your nonprofit well before your diagnosis. Um, how has your ability to advocate changed since being diagnosed versus just being a parent? I did quotation well, marks around just for anyone who's <laughs> not watching the video. Um, well, one of the things that I feel like that it's done for me is it's it's made me feel more comfortable giving my opinion on certain things um, in the sense that I don't feel like I always understood why my child was acting a certain way or why certain things bothered her a certain way, which is weird because I still had sensory issues. So I still had that experience and I knew what it felt like, 
but I never put two and two together that that might be what she's also experiencing until I got that diagnosis. Then it like makes sense. Cause I was like, Oh, I connected the dots. This, this is around the same thing that they're going through. So if I didn't have that diagnosis, I wouldn't have really connected those dots. I don't think. So it's kind of allowed me to basically be more uh, aware and attentive to those needs and be able to advocate more for those needs because I can draw from my own personal experiences and now feel confident that what that was, was essentially sensory issues. Um, like certain things I didn't know other people didn't experience. Like I have really high sensitivity to sound. I can hear electricity and things like that. And I didn't know other people couldn't. So the diagnosis helped me kind of understand that better. And because of that, I can now advocate for it better. No, I think it's interesting. I used to think that I wasn't anxious because I never know not being anxious or that, you know, bright lights bother, but like if you, they've always bothered you. Right. So I think that's now, do you think that you would have had that same understanding or same benefit if you had self-diagnosed yourself? Or do you think it was really through the, the long assessment process? I honestly feel like I am the type of person that really needs that assessment and that process because um, part of the issues that I've struggled with growing up is because I've gotten late diagnoses on everything. Um, I've always felt like I haven't quite understood a part of myself. And then that gives you doubt of like, am I processing things correctly? Am I misunderstanding things? Am I doing things and following through properly? And I feel like the assessment kind of helps give you that validation, that confirmation of like, no, you're not crazy. Like you, you, you get it. Like this isn't all in your head. It isn't the anxiety, which for example, a lot of people tend to have a comorbidity of anxiety. So how do you kind of dissect what's the anxiety versus what's the disorder versus what's, you know, reality versus what's your inner thoughts telling you these things because you're stressed or overwhelmed or anxious or whatever it may be. So for me, an assessment is basically imperative to be able to distinguish between the two so that you know what it actually is. Can you uh, tell us an example of how your anxiety manifests? Yeah. So one of the things that I noticed prior to getting my autism evaluation was that, like, like you mentioned, going to the grocery store, for example, you were saying earlier that it gave you or gives you a lot of anxiety and you don't understand how other people enjoy it. Very similarly for me, I have an experience with like traveling in places that I've never been. So that whole routines and rigidity, um, when it comes to going to places like driving places, I always have to drive the same route. Um, I lived in the same neighborhood for about 20 years. Um, and I had my driver's license there for about 15 of those years. And I still would not stray to any neighbors, neighborhoods that I had not driven through before without my husband. Um, and then I would always kind of like refuse to take the beltway or things like that because of the anxiety of like, if I take the wrong turn, I don't know where that's going to go. And I don't know how to predict that or what to do. So that sort of triggered that, um, that notion that I was like, you know what, maybe I do have more rigidities than I thought. I'm the exact same way with, with driving. I, I just can't take a different route, even if there's like traffic and the GPS tells me. I'd rather like be on that route that I know than try to go around. And yeah, I, I totally exactly. Agree. I tolerate traffic more than the unknown. 
Yeah. Well, I really hate traffic too because I feel like I'm stuck and it kind of makes me like claustrophobic. I start thinking, oh my God, what if there's an emergency? How am I going to get out of there? Like there's no exit and this and that. And well, <laughs> the overthinking part, but yeah. Yeah. Driving is, is a tough one too. Like it, it took me a while to be okay with, like I, I got my license fairly easily. Well, on the search, right? Not that easy. Uh, parallel parking story for another day. But like actually <laughs> like getting out of there and like driving, it's still, you know, it's very overwhelming. You know, so many like things going around uh, mm-hmm. when you're driving. And yeah, a lot of people do enjoy driving. I like it. Yeah, I don't. Sure. <laughs> when I took my driver's test, my foot was literally shaking over the pedal the whole time, like physically shaking. <laughs> yeah, can relate. <laughs> can you tell us uh if uh about your non-profit uh, organization uh it's called uh, autism wish uh i actually shared it on one of my uh my blog posts i didn't know uh it was you but it was you. <laughs> yeah uh, can you tell us why uh why yeah. it's called autism we autism wish and what you do and just tell us more about it Sure. Um, so Autism Wish is kind of like a mom and pop charity initiative that my husband and I started basically at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, we started it because when the pandemic hit, our girls were going to full-time therapies like four or five days a week. Um, and when the pandemic hit, everything disappeared. They weren't able to go to their therapies anymore. They weren't able to have access to like the infants and toddlers program, which is that pre-K developmental program that you get from school system. So they started experiencing a lot of regressions just as they had started to make some accomplishments. And so that was really heartbreaking and really frustrating. And I realized that, you know, after talking with their therapist, there were a lot of things that we could do at home to kind of maintain that therapeutic environment, maintain the fine motor skills, working on like OT and ST and PT type of things at home. But we needed tools to do that. Um, And it got expensive after a while being able to buy these like toys and all this stuff that you can do that. But we did realize that, you know, they are toys, like they're, they're things that you can get at Walmart that can help you practice fine motor skills, PT, OT, all sorts of stuff. (laughs) So we basically, so we basically uh, decided that we should put something together to help parents find those resources more easily. Um, We created a way that would be easy to maintain and accessible. So just creating Amazon wish lists and then finding sponsors to match those wish lists with. So that was kind of like the beginning of Autism Wish and it's since kind of grown into a bigger thing from that. That's awesome. Such a good idea. Uh, We talked about how you've been involved with uh, autism advocacy um, since before you were diagnosed uh, officially. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think uh, your voice, that's a tough question. Do you think your voice was any less valid a year ago before you had your um, official diagnosis? So I will say what I have experienced, um, I, I'm, I've seen this in other realms outside of disability as well, but it seems like, with self-diagnosis, there is an acceptance. So 
um, I was able to go into these autistic online spaces or, I mean, I don't know who was self-diagnosed or not, but um, I would go in those spaces and without having a diagnosis, I was like very accepted and welcomed into these groups. And honestly, if it wasn't for these groups, I probably wouldn't looked in, have looked into it because I was suddenly relating to a lot of people and I've never had that, like never, I've never been able to find a space that I was like, wow, wait, we have so much in common. This is weird. I didn't know people like me existed. Um, so I do think that there's some value to that. Um, but in terms of having to get that official diagnosis for me personally, I feel like that was an important part of my journey. Um, I feel like it made an impact in terms of what I felt confident in saying, for example, through autism wish or our mission or what we were doing, um, because I wanted to make sure that it was like as inclusive and accurate and representative as possible. Um, I, I kind of work at like research on the side is kind of like what my career is. And so for me, I try a lot to like avoid biases. And so that was part of it is like, I wanted to make sure that I was hearing voices from both sides and not trying to put my own personal bias, even if I do have one, like I, I do have a, a thought and opinion, but I tried to distance that from my observations. Can if you talk about the research part of your job? I didn't know about that. Yeah. So I am a UX researcher and that's my day job. <laughs> and um, a UX for researcher people who based- don't know UX is. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody knows what it is ever. So a UX researcher is a user experience researcher. Um, I basically research how to best design websites and interfaces to make them most user-friendly. And basically it's kind of like my job is to make you not hate using your tech devices. It's to make it as enjoyable as possible. So if you see yourself like wanting to smash your cell phone, you probably have a bad UX person there, if that makes sense. You know, uh, when I started uh, writing about uh, autism online, uh, it was like eight years ago now, um, I wasn't diagnosed yet. I was diagnosed, uh, I think, two years later. Um, And, you know, people used to tell me, well, you can't talk about autism because you're not autistic. And then I got my official diagnosis uh, and people... You know, when I say people, you know who I'm talking about, change from uh, well, you can talk about autism because you're not autistic to well, then you have self internalized ableism. So it's like there's absolutely no winning, in my opinion. So I know your diagnosis is uh, fairly new, but have you seen any changes in the hate you're getting? Is it better, or has your experience been the same as me, where it's just that the criticism is different? Honestly, um, so far, I've been able to not receive a whole bunch of hate because I feel like you're a little more in the public eye than I am. So you're going to get hit with it a lot harder. Um, there's been little moments. Uh, I've, I've basically have not seen a difference pre and post. Um, I honestly don't think that that matters to many people. Um, I just feel like there's this monolithic view and it really doesn't matter how how you try to kind of talk about it. it it's kind of like it's set in its ways um it's interesting for me because i've experienced i've experienced the same phenomenon being a latina um because i am a latina who does not think 
like many do supposedly, according to the monolithic view of what Latinas should feel like. And I have received hate for that even recently, um, being called like not a real Latina or things like that. And it's been interesting for me now going into this autism world and seeing the exact same phenomenon. So getting the same sort of response of like, you're not really autistic then. Um, it's just weird because I see it very much so from a cultural lens and because I see it cross these lines where it's not just about autism, um, it also goes into other fields like my race, my gender, things like that. Um, I, I don't take it as seriously now because it, it, it's all encompassing, which makes me feel like it's less real, if that makes sense, because it kind of spans too much for it to be real for me. I, I'm starting to sense patterns like the researcher in me is like, hold on, this seems more like a bias thing. What do you, I, I feel like there's a difference with the autism community for some of the other communities where there is some of that, you know, for not thinking like the crowd. Is it because there's a large portion of the autism community that can't think for themselves? Is there, or is it not actually that different? But I, I feel like there, there is something a little bit more unique and different, you know, about it, but that was a good parallel. What do you think? I think it's the nature of autism. So like the nature of autism is, you know, like me, just how I am. Typically I have a lot of communication problems, which means I misread people a lot. People misread me a lot. Um, it leads to a lot of arguments and discussions, even with people that, you know, you care about and they care about you and you have an intimate relationship with. So to have these types of conversations with people, you have no idea who they are. They're on another side of a computer screen. You don't get to see each other's faces and reactions. You don't see anything. It's just text on the internet. I feel like that's just bound to go bad. You have even less context than you have in real life. So now something you said was interesting in that you try to always do the middle ground, right? And see things from another perspective. And one of the diagnostic criteria for autism is not seeing things from other people's perspective and, you know, uh, theory of, of mine, right? So question for you, do you think that you, it's not so much the middle ground as it's that you don't necessarily see things from other people's perspective, but you see from everybody's possible perspective. So it's almost like, you know, empathetic isn't the right word, but you can always see why somebody might feel that way or you it's not necessarily putting yourself in that person's shoes, but you putting that person in anyone else's shoes and seeing if they fit. I'm totally not describing me here looking for validation, by the way. Sarcasm. again. OK, continue. <laughs> I think for me, what it is, is because I know that I struggle with understanding people um, and because I am a researcher by trade, what I try to do is assess things holistically um, because I know that my nature is to look at the small nitty gritty details. And I know that my nature is to be very black and white. And I know that because of that in the past, I've made inaccurate assessments. So what you're seeing now is like the version of me that's already gone through years of troubleshooting and kind of figuring out like everything isn't always black and white. Like you have to 
pull back the curtain a little bit and like give people the opportunity to give both sides and try to make a more overall like assessment. My instinct is to think very black and white. So I'm like consciously working on pulling that back. Really helpful to see, to try and see things from another perspective. To me, it's really not natural because I'm very stubborn and uh, I always feel like- No, I don't believe that. (laughs) Andrew knows like, <laughs> I'm right my way the right way but it's a good exercise to try and uh, and do that and not be so black and white uh, yeah I you know I feel like all of the autism stereotypes how autistic people are like you know they can't put their, themselves in what's the expression the shoes of someone else's shoes. Other people's shoes yeah yeah I can if they're right there on the floor I can slip them on <laughs> Unless they're Crocs, then I'm not going to do that. So it's just like you know, I feel like it's a bit outdated. Same as like the the empathy, and you know, it's yeah. It anyway. So your your job. See now, I can't remember what it's called. MX UX UX research yeah. user experience. So that's a that's a visual uh, job and technical, and seems uh, kind of boring. Uh, <laughs> when you said that okay <laughs> but do you enjoy it and uh do you think it's uh because you're autistic I actually think it's really great for the autistic brain um it's both a combination of like needing certain rules and guidelines but also having the flexibility to be creative um because I'm designing things so I'm like designing websites and stuff like that but at the same time it fulfills my need um, to have meaning behind things. So like, I'm always asking questions. I always want to know why something needs to be built a certain way. And we all know the one stigma, um, that happens often is the, the little kid who's in the class and keeps asking why the teacher says, do this, why do this, but why? And that kid who just always needs to know why. So this is a good opportunity for that kid because this job's all about asking why you don't get in trouble for it. Um, but also it's, it's about getting to know why people think a certain way you ask them questions. You basically try to find out if they all think the same way, if they think differently, and then you make conclusions based off of those discussions to design something that will meet their needs. So I feel like that's actually kind of worked with my advocacy work as well, because it's helped me a lot with my mindset of uh, approaching these conversations when I don't necessarily agree with them. I'm like, okay, pull myself back. I'm going to be the researcher right now, put on the researcher hat, and I'm going to see why, like, why do they feel this way? What's, what's the root cause of the issue? Um, There's this assessment, it's called the five whys. And basically it's like, you have to ask why five times to get to the original root cause of that original why, because what's at the surface might not be what the actual problem is. So that's something that I've learned that I also like apply into the world of autism. That is uh, super interesting. And also there are a lot of, uh, a few companies out there that have recognized, especially when it comes to to UX and and testing work, you know, I think, for example, uh, you know, Aspiratech, that's something that they do and they hire specifically for, again, among a few others. Right. So it seems like it's definitely a skill set, um, you know, avoiding a stereotype, but something that, you know, again, uniquely um, 
beneficial for probably sounds boring to a lot of other people, but so, so does a lot of jobs, I guess. Um, so what struggles have you had at work? So you were had ADHD, you work from home, but now you're autistic. Have you, what has helped you, you know, what hasn't working from home in a move and, um, things like that. I just laugh at the, but now you're autistic. Like it jumped up on me. I know. Right. <laughs> it's funny. So everything must be completely different. Right. <laughs> um, honestly, one of the things that also helped me kind of realize that, Hey, I should look into this is because the last two jobs that I've had, um, I mean, I was there for years. So this is probably like the last 10 years of my working life. Um, I consistently got the same feedback during that yearly evaluation. And every year I would try to like fix it, but I could not understand how to me, I was like, this is not a fixable problem. And the problem that I had, the feedback that I consistently got back is that I wasn't delivering what they were asking. And I never understood that because they would send it to me an email verbatim what they wanted I would do what they, I would design what they wanted. I'd give it back to them. And I'm like, how does this, th- you literally listed these things out and I literally delivered this to you. How am I not meeting those expectations? And the feedback that I got from my supervisor was like, oh yeah, well, you got to read between the lines. Like there's other context and da, 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 da. And that to me, I, I like, it stuck with me for years because every job that I went, it was the same issue. And I could never understand that. I was like, what, how do people do this? How do people just magically know what's supposed to be in here if it's not written down? So that was before I knew that that was related to autism. So it was just driving me crazy. And I I thought I was like, I don't know, maybe I'm just dumb. Well, everyone else gets it. I don't get it. So the autism evaluation really helped me figure that one out. Um, So now what's worked much better is that I'm in a fully remote place. Um, everything is like through Slack and email. So there's a written record, which helps me a lot with like my executive functioning issues. I can always refer back to the notes and because it's a more it type of field. Um, everybody who's there is more of a techie, it tends to attract more neurodivergent people. So there are more people like me there, um, which makes it a more empathetic place. So that's been really helpful. Tell us where we can uh, find you online. So I have a few social media accounts, um, Facebook and Instagram at Autism Wish. Um, I also have a YouTube channel where I do our video podcast series, Embracing Autism IRL. You could just search that keyword because we're not cool enough to have a cool URL yet. Um, But we also have our podcast, Embracing Autism. You can find that pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Let's do the quick fire questions. So I'm going to ask you a question and you tell me the first answer that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Sure. Do you have a favorite quote? And if so, what is it? Oh, I do. And I can't remember it because you're asking for it. <laughs> now, my favorite quote is um, if you if you um, try to judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it'll always think it's stupid. I think that's something that stuck with me forever because of my disability and always being judged by different standards. Okay, so fun fact, I love this quote and uh, I posted it the other day and I said it was, it was from Albert Einstein. Yeah, Einstein. they say and, it uh, is, but they can't actually verify that. 
Exactly. So my post got removed, like uh, fact-checked by Instagram <laughs> and removed because what? Uh, it was wrong because it's not. I posted it on mine and they didn't take it off. <laughs> they hate me. But I was like, what? And then I Googled it and apparently, yeah, we don't really know where the quote is. From, you know, you so. can repost it and put Albert Einstein with a question mark. <laughs> That's a good one. Just to troll them. <laughs> I don't know what they would do. Uh, what's your favorite uh, comedy movie? My favorite comedy movie? <laughs> um, well, I think that it's basically Pineapple Express because I love James Franco. Have you seen it, Andrew? I have. I watch movies. I'm like Eileen. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm just waiting for the day where someone's gonna like answer like a movie or TV show, and you're not gonna know about it. It's I'm great. not really into rom coms. I'm into like weird, silly coms. Pineapple Express. Okay. <laughs> like Harold and Maude. <laughs> All right. Anyway. What's what is your favorite alcoholic drink? I actually don't drink alcohol. <laughs> Shirley Temple. <laughs> Who's your favorite comedian? Um, Ricky Gervais. I think he's hilarious. What was your dream job as a child? What did you want to be? I wanted to be a neonatologist. Huh. Wh- cool. What? A neonatologist, a doctor for newborn babies. Oh, okay. I didn't. I didn't know that was. The That's term. what I wanted to be as a child. <laughs> Well, we did it. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was great having you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting us be a little extra all over the place. So, (laughs) you now. Yeah, me never, right?